If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to continue through this great letter. It's such a great section because it's all about how, do you, how does your faith affect the way you live in public in front of, in front of a watching world, uh, and specifically with the people that you live with, <laughs> right? How do you live out your faith among those whom you have committed to? And so uh, we're going to read today's passage about marriage. I want to read verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2 first because this is the overarching context. And then we'll, I'm going to read verses 3, 1 to 7. All right, so this is God's word. Peter writes, Beloved, those who are loved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against the soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then chapter 3, 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy. He has spoken to us today in, in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are a people that you have called in Christ redeemed, not forsaken, um, sought after. And so I pray that reality would start to uh, permeate our minds and move down into our hearts, that the gentleness of Jesus and the way he honors us would change our marriages our friendships, uh, the way we live, so that by our faithfulness, others might see Jesus in us and might be one through our conduct and our faith. For that, we need help. So Holy Spirit, come and, and grant us eyes to see, minds to understand, and hearts that love Jesus, that we might grow in our understanding of him and how he first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, did you find these words to the wives empowering, right? Honoring. Or did you find, like, I mean, this is what happens when you say these things out loud in, a, in our modern culture. Did you hear Peter's commands to wives to be subject to their own husbands as oppressive or claustrophobic and maybe even harmful, right? It's fascinating that the, the, the original hearers of this letter, they heard freedom, they heard honor, 
What they heard was Peter liberating and loving and honoring them. I mean, that's what one Bible scholar, Karen Jobes, remarked. She said, it's really sad and ironic that what we modern people hear is restrictive and enslaving is actually encouraging and helping and honoring these, these first century women, the wives. All right. And so we're going to have to do some work here, I know. I mean, it depends on how long you've been inter- interacting with the Bible of, of how you're going to hear these things. But um, it's a good illustration that, that the gospel is often way too liberal for, for some cultures, <laughs> right? Because it empowers the women and calls men to actually pay attention to their wives. And it's also way too conservative for other cultures like ours, um, where it says you're not independent. You have people you submit to. So we have, we have to work through the offense to come to, come to a clarity of what, what is Peter after, right? I mean, I've heard the, the complaints. Uh, I remember in college going to a Christian wedding and sitting at a reception with some friends who, who had left the church, and they said, you know, the wedding was beautiful, except for all of that submission garbage. <laughs> because we would never do that. Right? I, I would never tell my wife to submit to me, and she would never tell me to, to do this. And, and that's the offense, right? the submission word. But if Peter's hearers would have been honored and helped, then we have to say, what did they hear that is true for all people at all times, <laughs> for us? Now, how is the gospel going to work in our marriages? And so what I want to do is, just by way of introduction, and start what I'm assuming is, is an ele- the elephant in our room. In light of the Me Too movement and some of the other cultural things, it's just people are going to read the Bible and have questions. And so the question is, Peter, are you saying that I need to submit to my husband even if he is harming me? Right? How does it work in situations of abuse? or adultery, or, or neglect, or marriage-destroying addictions. I mean, if, if the likewise is saying submit to the authorities that God has put us in relationship with, whether they are good or gentle, how does that work in a marriage where the husband is not kind, uh, cruel? All right, but I, I th- read verse 7. This will be helpful, right? Because this, this is the words to the husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way and honor them because they're co-heirs with you in the grace of life. Meaning, husbands, treat your wife like she too is someone for whom Christ died. It does say she's the weaker vessel and it's that idea that in, in general, right, in general, men are physically stronger than women. So Peter's saying, use your strength to serve, to honor. Right? Honor your wives in a way that doesn't ruin Jesus' reputation in the community. Right? He doesn't say, husbands, you better get your wives to submit. That is not what it says. No, it's be, be worthy of her submission by honoring her. Right? Because if you don't, if you don't live with your wives in an understanding way, actually get to know them, your prayers are going to be hindered. That's a very strong language. Indirectly, I think, prohibiting any kind of abuse from the husband. Because it's not Christ-like love or honor. 
right? And I know that we're going to talk about this at the end, but we men need to hear that, that just because no one else can see the, the sin that our, even our culture would, sh- would frown upon in shame, right? That Peter's saying God sees it. And if, if we're not living up to the call that we are, that is being held out here, God's not going to listen to our prayers. The door will be shut. And so part of it, I just want by way of introduction, I know it's kind of a, it's a heavy introduction, but the command to wives to submit is in a particular Christian relationship, <laughs> uh, assuming that there is at least one person who's believing the gospel. It's not all women submit to all men. It's wives submit to your husband. And it's never giving license to the husbands to give, take advantage of the authority God has entrusted to them. All right. And so if this is raising conflict as part of going through these texts and shaking the tree, what's here, come talk to us, right? There's sin in every relationship (laughs) that cannot be avoided. Two sinners looked at each other and said, I love you, I do, till death do us part. But there it is, right? Peter, there's more, you can't say everything, but Peter is indirectly saying this is not how things ought to be. So let's let's dive into the passage Right. Peter's going to teach us today that marriage is public. Uh, he's going to teach wives how to be changed by Jesus' example, and then he's going to teach husbands to be changed by Jesus' example. And I think it's helpful to start by saying marriage is public. And so when you read Peter's instructions, um, context matters. If you pull Peter out, especially this part, commands to wives uh, to submit to your husbands that, that they may be won by a word by the conduct of their wives. Um, this is not a comprehensive marriage manual. There's principles in it for sure, and we'll, we'll talk about those. Paul gives much more grounded, true for all times, all peoples, all situations. Here's how marriage is supposed to work in Ephesians 5. But Peter is working out this situation of what happens when a wife is married to someone who's not a Christian? What happens if she is drawn to faith in Jesus and the husband is repelled by the gospel? Right. How do you work that out? When the Gentiles, the, the non-believers in, in your world and in your home, um, are offended by the gospel? Right. And so, in the bigger, bigger context, this is what this is about, right? Being... Marriage is public, and Christianity in Peter's day was seen as a threat to just the basic function of society, no different than people see us today. And so he is writing to take away as much offense as he can while not changing the truth of the gospel. Because Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, that's what it's saying. If you live in such a way that even if you are accused of evil, your neighbors will be persuaded to glorify God and join join in the the gospel celebration. And so let's just run through the context. I think this will be helpful to see that this marriage thing that happens between one man and one woman and one household has cultural effects. It's bigger than just two people. That's why we have witnesses at every marriage ceremony. And so if you look at this, how do we persuade our neighbors to glorify God? Well, in chapter 2, it's through humble obedience, submitting to every human institution. 
Every Christian is called a servant of God. And then if you follow in Peter's train of thought, uh, there's, there's a submission sandwich, if you will. Right? Servants, submit to your masters. It's 2.18. And then it says, likewise, again, to the wives in 3.1. Wives, sub, be, be subject to your husbands. And in the middle of that is Jesus' death, an example. Death for you. And then here's the footsteps we're called to follow. Right. And so here's the point. If you don't get who Jesus is, what he's done for you, and the trail of obedience that he has blazed for you, the command to submit to your husband's going to sound crazy. Right. Why would I ever want to do that? Well, Jesus did that for me. Right. And even more, right, bigger picture, the unbelieving husbands and the watching world are peering in. They've got the microscope out. Is Jesus helping a household or destroying it? It's asking those kind of questions. Wise, what will your husbands think of Jesus and the gospel based on how you live and what you say? Husbands, what will your wives think of Jesus based on the way you live with them? What will our neighbors think of Jesus based on the shenanigans they see <laughs> and hear in the community? Right. So I'm part of painting a picture, right? Marriage is a public thing. It's not just about me. There's more people involved. It's a public defense for Jesus and the power of the gospel to change a home. And if you change a home, that has a ripple effect out into the world. And if you follow church history, it turned the whole Roman culture upside down. Starting in people who were exiles, strangers, minorities, not the majority, in the household and expanded. So here's an example. Did you know, this, this brings life to the passage, did you know that a wife in the ancient world was not expected to have her own friends? Her friends were shaped by who her husband's friends were. Which meant you would not go out socially without your spouse. And I know wives get a, a wives' night out, and in our culture, that's normal. They, they're hanging out as friends in public. In the ancient world, that, that, that rarely happened. And so just imagine this, this young Christian lady uh, meets Jesus. She's expected to go to church. She's expected to be a part of the Christian fellowship, to go with it. <laughs> and to go without her husband causes all kinds of conflict, doesn't it? Right? So just imagine, I mean, if she goes pub out publicly dressed, right, we dress up to go to church, she's, she's adorned with gold jewelry, her hair all curled and styled, braided and looking good, she feels good. You know what that would communicate to the culture, to the people watching? They'll, they'll say, oh, there goes Pagan Pete's wife. She's without her husband. She's going to meet up with these other people she's not married to. She, clearly, she's moving away from her husband. Perhaps she's looking for an upgrade, a new guy. Right. And so Peter says the way to win your husband and to protect the reputation of Jesus in the community. Adorn yourself with gentleness and quietness. Don't be as concerned about the external appearance. Right. Isn't that amazing? 
saying, Peter, let's, Peter's trying to get these women uh, to care about Jesus' reputation in the church or in the, in the surrounding community and love their husbands. See, context matters. If I didn't know that, this sounds super restrictive. Um, but marriage is public, and our love for one another in marriage takes place in front of a watching world, and so it's asking that question, what would they see? Or maybe you're sitting here saying, is this passage really for me, right? I can picture it. There are marriages where one spouse is Christian and the other is not for all kinds of reasons. Um, there are marriages where both have made professions of faith and are in the church together. There are marriages where one spouse is putting a lot more effort into their faith than the other. Maybe only one is reading the Bible regularly. Maybe only one actually wants to pray together. And so even though Peter's commands are specifically aimed at wives who are married to non-Christian husbands, there's counsel here. Gentleness. So here's how you win your spouse. Right. All right, so marriage is public. Let's, let's keep moving here. The second thing we, we see in this text is Christ's example for wives. Um, here's how the gospel goes to work in this particular context. Um, but if you remember last week, this is what we said. Peter, when he addresses servants and then the wives and then the husbands, he is He's flipping upside down the culture's expectations. Because in the, in the ancient world, if you were going to give anyone advice on how to run your household, you only talk to the husbands. So here is Peter treating the women, treating the wives, as if they're servants of God too, <laughs> free in Christ and able to make decisions. All right? He's... An, Otherwise, they would be ignored. This is the gospel lifting up women in ways the culture did not do. So when it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Right. Did you know it was seen as rebellious for a wife to pick her own religion? That's the conflict that would have been in the home. They had to worship whoever the husbands chose for them. It's quite similar to conservative Islamic cultures today. Right. And so when the wife became a Christian, all kinds of pressure and conflict. I mean, you can imagine this conversation, can't you? Husbands saying, who do you think you are? The neighbors are going to think, I have no control in my house. I have no respect. How dare you shame me in the eyes of my neighbors for choosing Jesus? I'm not even going to get that promotion now because my boss is going to think I'm weak. That I have no control in my house. Your new faith, wife, <laughs> is ruining our life. And then, as what would happen, the wife would go to church and have church family without her husband. He might forbid it. You can't go to church. What should she do? How do you deal with that kind of pressure? Should she obey God and offend her husband? Should she fear her husband, stay home? You're starting to see the context. Maybe their, their wives are about looking at verbal abuse, at least hostility coming from their husbands, being blamed for the downfall and ruin of family. 
how should she respond to that kind of slander and pressure? Well, Peter says, likewise, has Jesus served you? Following Christ's footsteps, submit to your husband without returning insult for insult. Right? The goal is to win the husband, of course, that they would believe the gospel, figure out who Jesus is on their own. How? Through her love and gentleness. It's pretty amazing. Augustine, here's a history lesson, tells the story of how this worked out, how his mom applied this passage. Augustine, right, 300 AD, he was an African bishop, and he writes in his confessions that this is how my mom lived this out. She served her husband as her master, and she did everything she could to win him for you, God. She spoke to him of you, God, by her conduct, by which you made her beautiful. And then finally, when her husband was at the end of his earthly life, she gained him for you. So here's the testimony of a son who watched his mom beautifully, faithfully, gently, love her husband for decades until he came to faith at the end of his life. She did the same thing for Augustine when he was being a self, self-centered person running off. Right? The whole family was transformed by the beauty of her gentle submission to her husband. Right? doesn't always work out that way, but that's the goal. That if the husband doesn't obey the word, which is the gospel, which is Jesus, um, that they may be one without a word through the character of the wife who's been changed by Jesus. It looks like the cross. It's going to look like the cross. Peter keeps going, right? He says, Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I already gave some context, but this isn't Peter saying women should never try to look good. Right? This is not a, a blanket ban on makeup or clothing uh, that, that is nice. No, he's, he's saying what matters is the inside. Your character, this imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. You know who Peter's thinking about? He's thinking about Jesus. He's thinking about Jesus imperishable beauty of a gentle spirit. There's only one place in the Bible where you hear from Jesus as to what he is like, as to who he is, and how that controls how he relates to sinners. It's Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come learn from me, because, here's why, I am gentle and lowly in heart. The same word used to describe the character of Jesus and his patience with sinners is used to describe the faithful wives who are loving their unbelieving husbands. Peter's saying, imitate Christ. Walk in those footsteps. Be gentle. It's who Jesus is. He can't not be gentle. So what does it look like? Well, How did Jesus respond to horrendous sin? 
right in front of him. With actual sinners, he didn't explode in anger, did he? He, he didn't insult when he was insulted. He silently bore the cost to love you and me, a fellow sinner. That's what gentleness looks like. Doesn't mean you don't speak the truth. Jesus spoke the truth in, in love all the time. Right? It doesn't mean you're passive. But it's, it's the beauty that may persuade and attract an unbelieving husband to follow Jesus through the way you deal with conflict when you're sinned against, saying, I forgive you. Right. You know, the week before Jesus died, a woman came in. This is a preview of the, before the Last Supper, and she, she does something really uncomfortable. Right? There's a whole bunch of guys in a room. They're eating dinner. And she comes in, takes a jar of really expensive oil, breaks it over Jesus' head, and uses her hair to wash Jesus' feet. And so if you take what we've already said, right, she's breaking every social norm. Right? It's awkward. It would be awkward today. Right? Just imagine a woman, not your wife, touching your feet in public with a bunch of other guys watching, right? breaking into the boardroom and doing this. Right? All the disciples are saying, who in the world does she think she is? They're reacting with criticism. They are scolding. They are saying, why would she waste something so expensive and so valuable? Right? We could have sold that and fed the poor for a year. And Jesus, this is how he responds. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You always have the poor with you, and whatever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She anointed my body for burial. And truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Hmm. So you see how Jesus cherished and honored the beauty of her love for him. Right? Peter is saying the gentle spirit of a gospel-shaped wife loving her sinful husband with gentleness, it's precious in God's sight, as precious and costly as these expensive oils. Right? It, it's precious. Your husband may not see it, but, but God does. That's Peter's counsel. So if you suffer to serve your husband with gentleness and respect, you may feel unvalued. You may have decades wondering if I'm, if I'm breaking through at all. And Peter says it is seen and precious in God's sight. Peter keeps honoring the wives. He keeps talking to them. This is great. Right? He keeps going and says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, just like Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And if you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything, you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, I don't know of any marriage where the, the wife calls husband Lord, right? Maybe in Downton Abbey, <laughs> but that's the butler talking to his boss, right? No, remember the context. This is really helpful. Um, in Genesis 18.12, Sarah calls her husband Abraham Lord. When, when he hears, Abraham's told the good news that she will get pregnant and have a son and this will be the child that they've been, been always waiting for. 
Do you know the, the context behind her saying, Lord, what she had to do? Right? Sarah respects her husband here. Lord was just a term to honor her husband. It wasn't submitting to him as God. No, it's... The context is Sarah, the faithful, submissive wife who's, who's loved her husband when he was being an unbelieving bonehead. <laughs> it's the modern paraphrase, right? Because can you think of a time in Sarah and Abraham's marriage when Sarah obeyed her husband even when he was being unbelieving and self-centered? It's Genesis 13. When Abraham goes down to Egypt because of a famine, he says, wow, my wife looks really good. Pharaoh's going to see that, kill me, and take her for a wife. So wife, please tell the Pharaoh that you're my sister, and he will take you into his house and bless me and save my skin. How's that for a complicated situation? And she obeys. I'm sure it's complicated. She wants to protect her husband's life, but she submits to her husband even while her husband is not obeying God's word. Because God had just told Abraham, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I've got your back, buddy. Trust me. The next chapter, Abraham blows it. And so you have Sarah suffering through service to save her husband's life. Like Jesus suffers for us. And then you have Abraham, the husband, who's disobedient to God's word. And so by the time you get to chapter 18, she still treats him with respect. And Peter says that's an example to learn from. It's gentleness. And so if you want to learn from someone, she's an example of imperishable beauty, a gentle spirit. Don't be afraid. God sees. Trust him. So, said a lot to the wives. If you aren't a wife or married to an unbeliever or married, um, remember how Peter works. He's going to go, let's talk to the servants, learn from their example. Let's talk to the wives, let's learn from them. Let's talk to the husbands, let's learn from them. And when it's all done, what we're going to do next week, Peter's going to tie it all together and apply the same things to everybody. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. So how do you respond when someone harms you? With gentleness and respect or rage and criticism? We get to learn from these wives married to unbelievers. Last point and shorter, because Peter's shorter with the husbands. Um, the husbands are called to be shaped by Christ's example as well. Um, in the same way, like your wives, like the servants, like Jesus, right? We're still in the willing to be suffer to serve category. Live with your wives in an understanding way. So, husbands, right? You're learning from the example of the wives already. Um, how do we live with our wives in an understanding way? Well, we ought to forgive rather than fight back, right? Be willing to suffer to honor your wife. And if you're going to follow in Jesus' footsteps, again, you have someone else being told, don't insult when you've been insulted. Don't respond to reviling when you've been reviled. You're putting on the gentleness of Jesus toward moral failures. 
And so if you work this out, if your wife is an heir with you and you're treating her like a co-heir in the gospel, that you're both are brown for the promised land of we have sung, that means she needs grace as much as you need grace. She's a fellow sinner. Sinners are going to sin, so how are you going to respond? In a way that knows her, that knows her weakness, in an understanding way, or with rage, criticism, bitterness, complaining. Peter is calling the husbands to not look at themselves, but to turn and look at their wives who are Christians. And this would apply whether your your wife is a Christian or not. Get to know her. Show honor. Honor them. You know, that's not a strong enough word. It kind of covers up. Well, maybe it doesn't. It's the same here in, in the ESV, right? It's an honor that covers shame. Because in, when it talks about um, living with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor, it's the same word to describe how God honors all who believe. So this is Peter's way of saying, right, love your wife the way Christ has loved the church. Honor them. Cover her shame. Don't humiliate her. Get to know her. It's precious. She's precious. I mean, it's, it's literally the word preciousness. You're, she's valued. Right. And so what does that look like? It's going to look different depending on where you're from. And it, there's a great example I read about a Ugandan pastor who was reading these stories and seeing how Jesus loved women. And when he was asked, what am I going to do with the gospel? He said, you know what? I'm going to go home and I'm going to eat with my wife. Because in our culture, in our particular tribe, men and women ate separately. And I'm going to tell her, thank you for making my meal. He showed her in a way that was countercultural. I see you. I love you. I honor you. Now, last point, part here. Did you notice that in this passage... Only the husbands get the ominous threat. (laughs) Right? I mean, Peter takes off the kid gloves. He says, honor your wife so that your prayers won't be hindered or stopped. So you won't have the door of heaven shut in your face. And for the longest time, I've tried to connect this to grace. (laughs) But this is what Peter says. You can't avoid it. I mean, there are all kinds of ways to not honor or understand your wife. I mean, it it could be the extremes of being an abusive Albert. I try to pick names of nobody in the congregation, right? Alliterations. (laughs) Right? Because there's nothing further from the portrait of Jesus than a husband using his strength to harm rather than honor. Choosing to lash out to make her deal the pain rather than absorbing the cost. Right? You could be a critical Carl. You're constantly criticizing, right? Never giving her the impression that she's good enough. You could just be a passive Pete (laughs) where you just don't put any effort in. I mean, you can see there's so many ways this could go where there's no honor to get to know her. Because if you don't engage, if you don't turn and each face the other, Peter's saying to the husband, it's on you as the head of household to do this. Otherwise, your prayers won't be heard. Your prayer life will be ineffective. And there's probably 
a correlation to just sin and prayerlessness. But Peter's really blunt. There's, these are connected. All right. I mean, so let's tie all this together. What kind of relationship would you be in if both husband and wife are willing to suffer to do good for Jesus' sake? You have two people who love each other as Christ loved the church. You know, if you have both people willing to suffer the cost of forgiveness in order to serve the other, where the wife responds with gentleness and respect to her husband's belief, and the husband says, I'm going to honor you when you fail and cover your shame. I'm going to be a refuge for you. I'm going to take, or each takes each other by the hand and says, I forgive you because this is what Christ has done for me. Well, you'll have a marriage that is affected by the gospel, winsome to the other, because the cross of Christ has now moved into your household. And it's going to have teeth to it. You're going to be a person who loves fiercely, even while being harmed. So the question is that Peter's going to work at is, how has the gospel affected the way you live in your home? How you relate to other sinners? You're asking, how can I suffer in order to honor and love those God has placed in my life? Go and learn what that means. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot of uh, information, and I pray that through this meditation on Peter, that the gospel would change the way wives love their husbands and husbands love their wives, that the children would see the gospel in their parents. Uh, that the watching world would see the good that Jesus does of ordering the chaos that sin causes. For all this to happen, we need your spirit to uh, move us deeply that Christ suffered for us, that he, he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and calls us to do the same, to go out and be a people who are willing to serve rather than be served. May these things be true of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.